Well, welcome to this special edition of Encounter. This is Eben Fowler for Bot Radio Network. Uh, glad you're listening this afternoon. We're going to be talking about a, a difficult but a very, very important topic, and that is sex trafficking and sex slavery and the, the huge problem that it is worldwide. And I have in the studio with me two folks, one Pete Livingston and his daughter Meredith Ramsey, and we're going to be talking about a ministry that they work, actually two ministries, uh, that uh, seek to uh, to work on this very difficult problem. Uh, a little bit of history, first of all, uh, Pete's sitting across the table from me, and I first met Pete in Jefferson City, Missouri. We have, a, have had a great partnership with a church there, Concord Baptist Church, for a number of years. And still do. And Pete, uh, well, you're still on staff, but uh, when I first met you, you were on staff and actually there in Jefferson City at the church. So uh, tell us a little bit about your background, first of all. Well, that was my second career. I had a career in business and took two years off to be involved in ministry, and that resulted in my uh, time at Concord Baptist Church as executive pastor. I was there for eight years. Uh, Concord graciously gave us two years of sabbatical, or two two months of sabbatical. Two years me. would be nice. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, two two months of sabbatical, uh, in which time my wife and I spent some time looking at into things that we wanted to spend the rest of our life doing. Uh, we spent two weeks in Cambodia, and became acutely aware of the extensive. Uh, problem of sex trafficking, especially of children in Asia, and the involvement of the American citizenry who travel there to take advantage of children in that such an atrocious way, and decided this is what we we're going to do. So Concord gave, gave me a two-year leave of absence, uh, and uh, we just feel like the work's not done, and Concord has graciously allowed us to to uh, remain engaged at Concord while we continue the work in Cambodia. So essentially, you're sort of working as a missionary, if you will, in, in, a, in a capacity of that nature, uh, serving and, and coming out of Concord. Absolutely. Concord is our, our uh, sending organization, uh, and they continue to be very much behind us in involved in this in this ministry. Well, we're going to dig into the organizations that you're working with and for, and and learn about all about how they work and and more about the problem itself. But first, uh, I want to Meredith ask you about your background. Obviously, you know your dad's sitting here, and maybe he helped you get involved in it. But tell us a little bit about your background and why you're involved in this work. Absolutely. I am an Oklahoma Baptist University graduate, and I am a pastor's wife now. Um, my husband and I have served in student ministry primarily for the past 11 years in Texas, Oklahoma, and now in Denver, Colorado. And we have four small children. And when my parents took this mission and decided to go and do this, we, we began to educate ourselves on human trafficking and the work that they were doing. And we immediately were distraught for for the world, for our country, for our own children and, and the world that they would grow up in. And we knew that we wanted to fight for the freedom of all children. We looked into the eyes of our own kids and we thought, we know we believe we believe in the freedom that they should enjoy just like our own kids do. And so we began to pray and ask my parents for advice on the ways that we could engage. We didn't feel called to sell everything and go like my parents did. 
um, and not everyone is called to go. Right. And so we needed to find a way that we could engage locally. And I remember talking to my parents and they said, well, if everybody goes, who's who can stay around to tell the story? And so we picked up the idea of being able to stay here stateside and be able to travel and, and tell the story of human trafficking and raise awareness and um, help end poverty in, in the places that human trafficking is happening. Well, you're talking to a much bigger audience than probably you normally would talk to if you went to a specific location or a church or whatever. So sure. tell us, give us that presentation. Tell us about the problem, the, the breadth and depth of the problem. Sure. There is 27 million people entrapped in human sl- human slavery today, and that's more t- more people than any time in global history. So oftentimes when we think about slavery, we think about the Civil War, and that doesn't happen anymore, and we abolished slavery you know, years ago, but that's just not the case. Um, 80% of that 27 million are for sexual purposes, are slaves for sexual purposes, and 50% of those are children under the age of 12. It's um, human trafficking globally is a $32 billion industry, which is globally makes more than Nike, Google, and Starbucks combined made last year. It's the third highest grossing industry um, next to drugs and guns. Um, And this is the buying and selling of people. And we've learned just how how easy it's become with social media, with with the internet, um, how, how easy it's become to buy and sell people. Yeah, it's horrendous, actually. You know, when I when I think about this, when I hear about these stories, uh, I've got a little bit of a law enforcement background, and it makes me want to go out and, and uh, take some mm-hmm. people out, take some people down, and get them behind bars uh, where they can uh, where justice is served. And I know that that's part of it. I know that law enforcement is involved in in uh, helping to stem this problem. But it's uh, talk a little bit about uh, Pete from your perspective. What are some of the things that are being done that are effective right now? And then we're going to talk about your, your ministry specifically here in a minute. There are some amazing people engaged in the fight in our law enforcement community. I'm very, very grateful for that. The problem doesn't stop, though, just by rescuing a child or arresting a trafficker. Something has to be done to change the perception of this whole thing in the community. First of all, to make the community aware that this problem exists. It's not an under, you know, behind, you know, just that place in the community, just behind some shopping center. This is a community problem that exists in all socioeconomic classes. It it is not just the severely underprivileged. It's a, it's a real problem. And while law enforcement is doing a, a, a stellar job of attacking a growing problem, the community needs to take a, take a role in this too, become aware of it and become sensitive to the conditions of, of uh, broken families and poverty and low education that cause a, a child to be at high risk. That's, that's true in America as well as Cambodia where we are. These Poverty and education are the two greatest risk factors uh, after you consider the, the loss or the absence of the gospel. Um, we believe there's a three-pronged approach that has to be taken. There has to be an asserted effort uh, to bring the gospel into, into a community. Cambodia, uh, 
Thailand, Africa, it doesn't matter where it is. We have to bring the gospel in so that people begin to understand that mankind was made in the image of God. And therefore, our position uh, is not that of the animals and the trees and the fish and the birds, the air. We are not to be treated uh, in such a way. We need to be recognize that value. We need to teach that into a culture. But once you do that, it doesn't help that, that family overcome poverty or education. You have to bring those two factors in as well. But if you do bring the gospel, uh, education, and economic opportunity community, you have shown them a path out of the, the conditions that result in the trafficking, especially the trafficking of children. All right. So you've been in Cambodia. This whole thing started with a two-week trip to Cambodia. Uh, why Cambodia? What's going on there that uh, makes you made you go back? Two things. Uh, what made us go back is we've done many short-term trips to Cambodia through the years. We actually have two Cambodian children uh, who, who are, one's now 25. We adopted when they were young. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is now 25 years old. One's 22 years old. Um, they're here in America and in, in finishing their training and schooling. Uh, that was our original connection to Cambodia. We went back there uh, during a sabbatical period just to experience it without the responsibility of a team that we were watching out for. That's when we became aware that Cambodia is the epicenter of child sex trafficking in all of the world. Now, that makes it the epicenter for the atrocity, but it also makes it a great place to go in and attempt to end it, bring programs and, and uh, energies specifically into a hot spot and refine those programs so that you can determine what really works and what doesn't. And we have, that's what we get to do in Cambodia. That's why Cambodia for us. Well, how did Cambodia become the epicenter of this stuff? In the 80s, uh, Cambodia as a nation suffered an enormous atrocity under the hands of the Khmer Rouge. Khmer Rouge. Um, Pol Pot. Pol Pot came in and, and he uh, killed over 3 million people of his own country, his own countrymen. He was not a foreigner. He was a uh, Cambodian, and he wanted to take the country back to what he called year zero. And he attempted to kill every person that was educated, anybody that could read, destroy every book, every sign of education. He brought enormous poverty upon his people. He took the people from the cities and moved them out into the countries and made, made them farmers. Uh, he, he just destroyed it. He broke up families, separated mothers from their children and fathers from their families and it just annihilated everything that we would think as a Christian is what is the underlying substance to what makes a community great. Sounds like communism yeah, to me. Yeah, it sure does. It's exactly what it is. It, it, was, it was, in fact, some of his own followers, some who were just finishing their trials in Cambodia, uh, even as we speak, uh, describe it as being one of the uh, even though they may have been socialists themselves and joined his regime, they, he became uh, a despot even in their eyes of some of the very people that, that were his lieutenants in his army. Uh, it, was, it was an extremely oppressive regime. only lasted for a few years, um, and uh, the country has been fighting to recover from that ever since. Mm. 
Yeah. Well, tell us about the specific ministry that you're, or ministries that you're involved in, and I'll ask uh, Meredith to talk about the stateside uh, work that she's doing. Uh, I am presently the executive director of a Cambodian-based NGO. Uh, NGO stands for non-government organization. The various missionary agencies around the world, World Vision, uh, IMB, et cetera, et cetera, all have NGO operations, but they're American-based entities with Cambodian operations. Uh, I'm aligned with a Cambodian operation uh, that is Christian, evangelical. Okay, it's called Cambodian Churches Association, and we work um, directly with Cambodian church plants. Uh, churches have been planted and now have Cambodian pastors, but those villages where those churches exist still suffer extreme poverty and extremely poor educational opportunities. And so we work directly with CC, through CCA into those communities to bring education and economic opportunity to and, support the church. And a lot of this is still as is an after effect of what happened uh, with the Khmer Rouge, correct? Oh, uh, it, it is a c- country still reeling. Um, uh, you know, there's only one trash company in the whole country. Trash sits for weeks at a time in most places, even if it's ever picked up. It, 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 is, it is very definitely a lower tier third world country. Okay, so tell us more about that. It, the name of the organization that you're with is? Uh, Cambodian Churches Association. Okay. Right. We call ourselves, uh, kind of go by the byline of incurable fanatics. Right, okay. Yeah. Uh, that's that's what, we, what we do in our education and business uh, development programs that assist the church in becoming self-sustaining uh, in the Cambodian uh, countryside. So give us just kind of an overview of what kind of day-to-day, what the work is like there. Uh, very remote. Uh, we roll into, a, roll into a, a village with a pastor, and we'll meet with the community, and we'll ascertain what kind of skills are indigenous to that people group. What do they do? Is it a fishing village? Well, then they probably make nets. Uh, what can we do that net makers can uh, – what can we help them do outside of making nets but use those same skills of knotting and using the same kind of materials? So one of the things we do is we help them turn that knotting and net making materials into things like uh, jewelry. And now they can sell jewelry uh, that we, we can sell it to, and we'll bring it back to the states and sell it in awareness events realizing for them a much higher profit margin, which rolls back into the community so that the makers can then send their kids to school uh, and actually even support their own local church. Uh, so that, that, that's one of the things we do. My wife, Debbie, uh, is a 30-year educator, and she teaches the Cambodian uh, teachers. Most of those teachers have no more than – most of their teachers, even up through high school – don't have much more than a sixth grade education formally themselves. And they have no educational training really other than what they pick up along the way. So she teaches them how to teach. And so she's establishing an instructional level and guide and, and, and raising up a standard uh, for them to learn in the remote r- rural villages. Well, let's jump from Cambodia back to the United States. Uh, Meredith, tell us about the, the stateside ministry work that you're doing, the name of the organization, and then tell us what, what you all do. 
Sure. So as my dad had kind of mentioned before, one of the biggest reasons why children are being trafficked in Cambodia is extreme poverty. We just got back from Cambodia, my husband and I, four weeks ago. And when you see a child hovering over a trash can, it just, it changes you. It just does. You can't get that image out of your head. And so we, we knew these things were happening and, and we began to ask ourselves, well, what, what can we do? And I think, I think so many Christians and so many churches, while well intent, intended, go over and have, have a VBS or, or bring a whole bunch of bicycles and, and, and they, they drop these things off at these places in, in, intending to do well with that, but then leaving and then and not giving anybody a hope not giving anybody an opportunity for continued development in their own country. And so we began to ask, along with, along with Incurable Fanatics, what can we sell stateside that they would never be able to sell in their own country because of extreme poverty? What can they do that we can sell stateside? Because people want to get involved. When people hear about the statistics of human trafficking, they so desperately want to get involved. And so if we could bring a tangible way to the United States that they could get involved, and we wanted to do that. So we launched a website called made27.com, M-A-D-E-27.com. We're on all the social medias, Facebook, Instagram, you can find us there, where we try to connect people in the United States to people in Cambodia. And the way we connect them is by purchasing their goods. And they wear their bracelets. They wear kimonos. They wear scarves. They they purchase a coffee cozy that they take to Starbucks and put around their coffee cup. And it connects them. And then not only do they continue to pray for those individuals, because our items are signed by the person who made it, which is an instant connection, but they also continue to tell that individual story. So as they go about their day-to-day life, they can share the story of human trafficking and the story of the survivor that that they purchased their goods from. Very good. Uh, You're listening to a special edition of Encounter. This is Evan Fowler on Bot Radio Network. My guest today, Pete Livingston, and his daughter, Meredith Ram. We're talking about uh, the issue of human trafficking. Let's talk about some, uh, maybe some stories of, of individuals who have benefited from the ministry, and, and what are we always want to know? What are the results? You know, you, you're sacri- both of you are sacrificing a lot to do this work. It's uh, you're probably not getting paid very much to do it. If you know, if anything, I don't know. But uh, you know, you've definitely been called to do this work. You're sacrificing your life and, and your talents. And so I'm sure of anybody, you, you all are interested in some results and seeing some things happen and seeing benefits from this work. So let's talk about some of those. I'm going to ask both of you that, but start with you, Pete. Evan, that, that's a great question because you, when you make it personal, um, people, I think, can relate a little bit better rather than just to concepts. And the first person that pops in my mind is a man named Chanta. Chenta, his father was killed by the Khmer Rouge, and he has tried to eke out a living. He's 44 years old today. Um, he is a brass smith. Um, he would he would collect bullets from the killing fields. Still does. Uh, there's 100 plus killing fields in Cambodia where the Khmer Rouge killed their own people and then just dumped them in mass graves. He goes through those sites and collects the shells, casings, from bullets, and he melts them down and makes it, – it, he was making toothpicks, forks, and spoons hmm. because that's what people could buy. 
But his ability to make things was far excess, in excess of that. He could make beautiful, fine jewelry. But who was he going to sell beautiful, fine jewelry to? So he was stuck with toothpicks, forks, and spoons. We helped him develop a market for some fine jewelry here in the U.S. Um, and as a result of that, uh, Chen Ta and his wife, Tini, and their two children uh, are now employing three other workers and learning, who are learning the trade of brassmithing and making fine jewelry that we now bring over to the U.S. to, to sell. That, that's, he, was, he was a family at extremely high risk. They were on the edge. They had no place to live. They were living in a lean-to, really, on the side of a building. Uh, trafficking was the next step with two young children. And in the context of his local community, it was an easy step to make. It was a high-traffic area of the city. And uh, we were able to step in about a year ago and help him monetize his skill. Uh, and the results are wonderful. And we have others just like that. Well, there, you know, there's obviously some kind of a, a cultural thing going on there where, where it's I – mean, you would have to be at wit's end to essentially sell your children. I think that's what it boils down yes. to, right? Yes. So, I mean, what, what is the – you know, what's the, the, the moral climate like there that allows for that level of desperation that you would actually – you would know where your children were going probably – it's mean, almost inconceivable. Well, the Bible teaches us that man is made in the image of God. We find that in Genesis. And, and unlike any other creation, we have value in the eyes of our creator like no other creature. Uh, the gospel has been largely absent from that part of the world and was wiped out under Pol Pot. Um, it's recorded that there may be only three Christian pastors that survived and remained in the country uh, at the time of Pol Pot's uh, removal. So the gospel is a missing component. Missionary groups have done a great job of bringing the gospel in and planting churches, but that doesn't overcome the poverty. Uh, can you imagine if you had three children and you were entire family was starving to death and really the, the, the rivers are dry, the ponds are empty, and you're a fisherman village and you have nothing else to do uh, but to try to find a way to buy a bag of rice. And so you sell one child in order to feed two. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying I can, oh, I can get there with that. No, uh, I, I can't see it. I cannot imagine it. But I can understand if you don't value human life the way the Bible teaches us to value human life, then selling a child is no different than selling a cow or selling a chicken. Uh, it's just something that gets me the money to survive. Mm -hmm. And that's the climate, the context in which this exists. Well, Meredith, again, let's jump stateside and talk about some of the, the experiences that you've had, some of the situations where you have been able to to help in this uh, in this situation. And then one of the things I want to do is turn to maybe what some of the other types of ministries are that maybe you intersect with and that do uh, maybe some different types of work. Sure. You know, human trafficking is happening in the United States just as much as it's happening internationally. That's right. And it's something that we don't want to talk about. We don't want to think about, especially we find the American church um, because it leaves us then with a responsibility to do something. And statistics show that um, the average age entry into the sex industry in the United States is 13 years old. 
And statistics also show that a child, a normal child running away from home will be approached to be trafficked within 24 hours. And so that, that ought to alarm us. Um, as I said, I, I, live in, I live in Denver, a suburb of Denver, Colorado, and if our ears just kind of perk up a little bit, you can hear all the time of, of children being, being sold by their parents or rescued. And, and oftentimes we look at that and we think, how, did, how does that happen here? Um, oftentimes children who are trafficked here in the United States are what we call undetected children, which are children in the foster system or who are just deemed runaways, that sort of a thing. But in the United States, there are people who are, who are out for our kids as much as, as much as anywhere. And we call that in the United States, we call that grooming. And there, there are ways that, that we can, that the traffickers have learned to groom our children through social media, through, um, appealing to their emotions, to, Finding kids who are at odds with their parents or going through a breakup or in, de- in drugs or just undetected um, through our society. And so they, they are out looking for our kids. And I don't say that to alarm parents. I don't say that I'm a parent myself. I don't say that to scare parents. But I do say that to, to, to make us wake up and, and say, you know, something needs to be done. Something needs to be done stateside. And not, not just not even just with the trafficking side, but. You know, globally, 25% of, of sex purchasers globally are Americans. 25% of people going overseas and purchasing children are Americans. So something's wrong within our own, within our own system, within our own borders that, that needs to be addressed. That's right. Well, I, you know, there's a special place in hell for those for those people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, it's just it's unbelievable. Well, we're, we're getting a little short on time. So uh, I want to before we you know, if we have time, we'll talk about the other question I just mentioned. But uh, tell those who are listening how uh, they can help uh, this effort and get involved. You know, we're not all called to do this. We're not all called to the pro-life movement Absolutely. necessarily in terms right. of concentrating our time or efforts on a particular issue. But there are ways that uh, that other believers can come alongside and assist, even though this may not be their primary calling. How how can yeah. people get involved? I mean, first of all, let me, let me just say, I agree with you. Uh, th- not everybody is called to this particular uh, task. But as a believer, we're all called to some task That's right. within the kingdom of God. Um, we're not called to sit on the sidelines. We're called to be active, go and do something that is gospel-related. For us, it happened to be this area of child sex trafficking, and it's it's something we could not escape. That's why we're incurable fanatics. Uh, so what kind of things you can do? There are lots of local agencies or startup kinds of things. We're, we're uh, doing a, a program up in uh, Walthina, Kansas, for a group of churches that are coming together to form a new coalition to stop trafficking in, up in the St. Joe area. That's great. And and we're excited about that. We'll be in Springfield uh, at Crossway Baptist Church doing some things there with them, and then at College of the Ozarks, just generating awareness. One of the new hotspots for trafficking in the U.S. is Branson, Missouri. Wow. Uh, you just got to figure where there's tourists, where there's money, uh, you know, ex- disposable in- money. Um, the traffickers are going to find a way to be ready and available at a text notice to have somebody at your hotel door 
if you're so inclined. We have about 30 seconds, so it sounds to me like this is something that if there was a church that had an interest in learning more about this and perhaps, say, forming a coalition, as you just mentioned, with St. Joseph, Missouri, how do they get in touch with you? They contact made27.com. Locally is the easiest thing to do. They can also get in contact with us through uh, incurablefanatics.org. Okay, so I'm going to say that again. Made27, that's M-A-D-E-2-7. Dot com or incurablefanatics.org. Correct. Very good. Correct. Well, this, is, uh, this has been an interesting conversation. Hopefully some of our listeners, if they are moved by the Lord to, uh, to do something more, maybe they've been thinking about this or they just read a story about it, the Lord's pricking your heart, then you can, uh, you can get in touch with Pete or Meredith. Again, made27.com, incurablefanatics.org. For Bot Radio Network, this is Eben Fowler. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Special Encounter Program.